Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, before you, we get into the episode, I, I do want to acknowledge this is three Florida-based episodes in a row, and I did not mean to do that. I was looking at it, and I'm producing the episode. I'm like, Dad, gummit, we've, we've told, if you count Thursday's episode where I talk about my adventure formula, which features a lot of what I'm doing here in Florida right now, I'm like, this is three stories in a row that heavily feature Florida, and, and I'm a going to apologize. I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to make sure. I mean, we have some unbelievable stories down the pipe, uh, and including Hunter's here, which is about the Florida Trail technically, but it's an awesome story. He's an amazing personality, but there is a ton of very well varied content coming out. Great interviews from the Arctic Circle to deserts and everything in between. So don't worry, this is not becoming a Florida adventure podcast, even though it feels like it. However, before we jump into the episode, I do want to triple, quadruple down on the Florida theme by sharing that I was recently on the largest outdoor podcast out there, Dirtbag Diaries. They are the OG adventure podcast uh, hosted by Fitz Cahal, and they've been going for almost 20 years, and they're supported by Patagonia. It, it is the biggest outdoor podcast. They are they're it. They are the top of the food chain in this world of adventure shows. So if you don't listen to Dirtbag Diaries, you should absolutely go listen. And on their uh, exclusive content, so they're like patron-only content, I was just interviewed on a, a new series they're starting called Good, Good, Bad. And if you want to check that out, it released Friday. And it was an awesome interview. I got to sit down with Fitz, who, who is the outdoor podfather. Like th- this guy, he started it all. And so uh, talked about my recent Lake Okeechobee crossing and what's so cool is that hunter here who we're talking to today was in that area doing this adventure a month and a half ago when I was basically going across Okeechobee. He ha- he was running up the coast, attempting a fastest known time of the 1,100-mile Florida Trail, and spoiler alert, he got it. He had a great pace starting out. He had this crazy injury, thought he might have you know, really hurt his Achilles, but was able to keep going and got the record and he got approved on FKT or fastestknowntime.com, officially got it. So that's very exciting. Yeah, big shout out to my buddy Paul, who was able to help runner uh, Hunter on the first day with crewing. And then Jared Howell, one of our ambassadors here at Athletic Brewing, who I've become good friends with, who also was at the finish line or right near the finish line of my Okeechobee paddle. So yeah, so much going on here. It, it, it was really cool. So let's jump into Hunter's story. And just so you know, I'm going to take a break from the Florida stories for a while. I understand. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive in. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for making this happen. So glad to have you on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks a ton, buddy. It's a pleasure to yeah. talk with you. So there's a lot I don't know. I kind of wanted, I know what I know about you, but there's a lot I don't know. And I, I was saying before, I'm like, are you in Home Depot? But you were saying that's your, you and your dad's uh, adventure race company. Tell me about that a little bit first, because that's not like a garage full of gear. That's a warehouse behind you. Yeah, this is um, a huge warehouse where we have hundreds of canoes and bikes and a bunch of bins of gear and stuff but we put on about 12 adventure races around the country everything from florida to alaska anything from a six-hour adventure race to a six-day race and so half my time spent doing the races and racing myself and then the other half's putting on these races for other people so it's a my whole life has been around adventure racing and ultra marathons and stuff i'm working on the back end and then actually participating in them myself so it's a pleasure how long has your dad been doing this He's been putting on adventure races for, I think, 10 years now. But he's been doing adventure racing my whole life, like racing himself. So, so you've been around this literally your whole life. Yeah, yeah. So when I was born, my dad was doing adventure races. And then I was like, once I got like six years old, I was like, Dad, can I join you for adventure race? And he's like, absolutely not. No kids are allowed to do these sports. It's too dangerous. It's too long. Kids don't do these things. After a year of convincing him, he eventually was like, all right, I'll let you come join me for a race just to shut you up. And I I did a six-hour adventure race with him and fell in love from there. And it was like, I was hooked. Ever since I was seven years old, I've been doing adventure races and ultra marathons like constantly. So my whole life's been wrapped around this adventure racing and just doing cool stuff. 
so I'm looking at the list now and oh my gosh. So you put on all these, are all of these races that are on the website every year or are some of them like biannual or every few years? What, what What's kind of the. Every, every year we do those races. So you, that your years like, planned out. Yep. Every and year. I fit, I fit my adventures, my own races in between what races we already put on ourselves. That's, this is, it's a pack schedule. <laughs> no kidding, man. I mean, that's so much to figure out. That is awesome. Uh, and, and it's gear heavy too. Like there's a lot going on. Like yeah. you said, I mean, one of the cool things is like, if you ever needed equipment growing up, it was just, Hey, pick a canoe. Like there's literally a yeah. hundred of them. So exactly. that is awesome. So, so tell, tell me a little bit before we jump into the FKT. Um, tell me a little bit about what it's like to put on an adventure race. To me, I'm always here at my day job with athletic, we have a really close partnership with Ironman and mm. some other event partnerships. And I'm always just blown away by the amount of work that goes into making these events happen. The the special thing that like the people doing the Ironman think it's hard. I'm like, no, the person that applied for the 300 permits it took to make this happen. That's, yeah. that's the hero to me. And so I can't imagine the difficulty of putting these on, especially the ones that are like in a, another country or in Alaska. What goes into that, man? It's got to be just unbelievable amount of work. Oh, I always say putting on a race is a lot harder than racing. Like I finished, like we have a race coming up at the C2C. It's a three-day race across Florida. And it takes, you got to go down the day before and at least like two, three days before to set the course. And then you're out a day or two after the course. Uh, it's just so much more work that I'm exhausted by the end of it because you don't have the adrenaline. Like when you're racing, you don't need to sleep. You're just, the adrenaline's pushing you, but rate, uh, working it, like you set up everything, then you sit there and wait for hours for a team to come in. And then you're like nonstop taking care of them. So I'm always more tired after a race if I'm working it. But I think something that has really helped us grow as the biggest um, adventure racing producers in the country is at the core, we're both adventure racers. My dad and I, we've been adventure racing our whole life. So it's like, we know what it, a racer wants. I feel like a lot of other race designers don't actually race themselves. So they don't understand what the racers are going through. So we really cater the races to what we w would want to see. Um, so that's been our biggest success. I think that's, that's actually a really good point is, is a lot of people, it's almost like the best coaches were also players a lot of times, but they weren't like the best players because that what that taught them is like they had to learn how to do these things. It didn't just come natural. You know, like Michael Jordan, I've, he, he's not a great coach because it's like, oh, you know, you just 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 jump up and dunk it. Like, well, I can't do that. So what do I do instead? So with exactly. I'm not saying you're bad adventure racers. You are very good. But it's like being able to know both sides is super important. Man, that's so cool. That's so crazy. What a, what a cool background. I mean, is this what you see yourself doing as well for the time being, or is that just like too early to tell? Um, for the time being, like I help with the marketing and more like the race creations and stuff. Um, so I'm not day-to-day -day operations, um, but that part of the job, I like coming up with the race ideas and the formats and uh, marketing and stuff. But I'm, I'm more focused on right now doing my own crazy adventures and making that a full-time living. That's awesome. And, I, and I've got my notes over here. I'm not like ignoring you. I have two screens. But, uh, people are like, what are you looking at? I'm like, I got all my questions. Um, when I first came across your profile, who's this guy? Like what was clearly evident was your personality was different than a lot of ultra runners I know and a lot of people chasing fastest known times and just doing these big adventures. And I've noticed too, a lot of adventure racers are just a little more laid back people, personality wise, a little more I want to say approachable maybe than a lot of these endurance athletes sports that, that, that we come across. And I don't know, is that kind of the vibe? Why do you think that is? Is that true from your point of view? And you're like an extreme version of that. I'm like, this guy's not only approachable, he's like straight up goofy, which is, I love, like you're like <laughs> sucking down ranch bottles and eating all kinds. I'm like, is it, is it serious? Like, is this a joke? I couldn't figure it out at first, but it, it was definitely different. Yeah, no, it, you nailed it right on. I, I'm so grateful that I was raised in adventure racing. Like, I don't know enough about like the triathlon realm or anything, but like from the outside, it seems like super competitive. It's all about my time being my best. And it's like kind of step on other people to make yourself look better. And adventure racing is the complete opposite. Like you've interviewed some of the best adventure racers of all time, like Nathan Favre and all these people are like the best 
they seem like average guys. Like you see them walking down the street, you're like, Psh, that guy has like a dad bod. He's just so, so chill. He's no, no cockiness, nothing at all, but he's the greatest athlete in the world. And it's yeah. like, I feel like adventure racing being raised by that. It's been so amazing because you, you could be talking to somebody and you never know they're like the best athlete in the world. Um, where like, I feel like even ultra running, there's a good majority of people that are like that. But a lot of them were like, oh, I'm the best in the world. I'm the best at this. I'm better than you. It's all about, especially when I got into FKTs. When I got into Fast and Known Times, I really didn't like the atmosphere too much of like other people of like, oh, I'm going to break your time. I'm better than you if I do this trail two hours faster than you. Where I was like, no, no, I, I see FKTs and all this ultra running and everything as like a team sport. If I'm going after FKT, it's never about me trying to break somebody else's time and to show that I'm better than that person by six hours. It's no, I see it as like a team sport. Like we're trying to push humanity forward. Somebody did this trailer in two days and I come and do it a day and a half. Like, great, you help me do this. And then I want to help somebody else next year come break my time. It's like, it's never about me, like not wanting people to break my records. And that's been my whole life. It's like, um, ever since I was like seven years old, I set multiple adventure racing world records for the youngest to complete world championships, eco challenge, all these different things. And it was always about like, I want to help the next kid come break my record. And people didn't understand that at all. It's like, it's never about me. It's like, I'm doing this to show what's possible for all of humans to go do and prove themselves. Like that's my entire mission. And I, it's sad that that's not the majority of thinking that most people have. Yeah. It's mostly about, me being better than you and improving myself and it's not improving everybody that, that i think that's a big part of it is the team aspect of adventure racing which you don't always get in the outdoors and uh but take us through kind of your idea to to try the F fkt for for the florida trail yeah it's it all started when so i grew up in florida for 18 years and as soon as i graduated high school i moved up to georgia but I would always go out on all these races. Any Anywhere in Florida, you're doing an adventure race, you're going to be coming across the Florida Trail at some point. And I did not know what the Orange Blaze meant. I was like, oh, this is just one little section. Didn't know it went 1,100 miles from Everglades to the Panhandle. Like, never knew that until, like, a few years ago when I looked it up. And I'm like, man, now that I live up in Georgia, I felt like growing up in Florida, I never appreciated Florida. I never appreciated where I lived. It was always about, hey, I want to move to the mountains. I want to get out of here. And I feel like a lot of people fall in that trap of like always like wanting to do something else, always wanting something else, wanting to move somewhere. And I, I felt like I never really appreciate Florida when I lived there. But now that I live up in Georgia, I come back down to Florida and I think it's so beautiful and I love it so much. And I'm like, man, I want to make a trip and come back down here and truly see this whole state and really appreciate it all. So that kind of started my search of like oh that would be cool to go hike the florida trail and then i was like oh i'm fit enough now i want to start getting into some ultra ultra long distance fkts like the appalachian trail fkt and pacific crest trail and stuff so might as well go do a training run down in florida for 1100 miles um it quickly did not turn into a training run i realized how tough it was as soon as i started um but yeah that kind of just started between just wanting to explore my whole whole state and then as my first ultra long distance FKT. And the big part is also all my friends, like majority of my friends are down in Florida. So like it was this whole social aspect for me to like, I'm running the entire state. I'm gonna have so many people come out. I thought maybe 20, 30 people would come out. We had like over a hundred people come out and run with me different sections. People I knew, people I didn't know. Um, it was just such a great community aspect. And I went back and forth of like wanting to do this like self-support it and just all by myself with a backpack and no tracker and just knock it out. But then I was like, what's the mission we want here? We want this to not to be about me and setting a record, but we want to share the mission and inspire other people. And the best way to do that is to do it, support it and have a live GPS tracker. So anybody could follow us 24 seven and come out whenever they want, come hang out. And that was kind of like the motivation, the whole thing um, to make it all as public as possible. Were you worried that that would slow you down? Of course, yeah, the interactions and the community aspect does slow you down at some point, but it adds so many more benefits, like mentally made me super positive when, when I was in a low moment and just having friends come out. So it, it was all worth it. Yes, people was, was say, it was like, oh, Hunter, if you didn't stop and take so many pictures and talk for so long, you could cut off a whole day. It's like, maybe, 
but that's not the experience I wanted. It wasn't all about the time. The time is just the outcome that it honestly wasn't even about the FKT at the end of the day. It was like, what does the journey do for you? And what, what do you learn from it? How do you inspire people? That's more important to me than just going six hours faster. Well, I want to touch on one thing real quick. You know, that, that was my experience. And I think a lot of Floridians experience. And, and I host another podcast all about Florida conservation. And we talked to like some of the biggest people in the, in the state that are protecting land and protecting Florida. I moved away out West to the mountains for like 10 years. And it was because I thought that's where adventure was. That's what it is. And, you know, California and the Sierras lived in Yosemite Grand Canyon, and then Denver and settled in, in the Rockies for a long time and grew up going every summer to the North Carolina. And I'm like, that's where adventure is. And we had a child and I'm like, you know, it'd be better to be around family. We moved back a few years ago, but having those like eyes to see Florida now, I'm like, this is a dreamland. This is, there's an endless amount of things to explore. And it's almost like no one realizes it. Yeah, it sounds like that was a motivator too to see kind of this state that you grew up in and maybe parts of it you just didn't even realize existed. And I think the lesson comes down to not just that Florida is beautiful, but anywhere you find yourself has its own beauty. Like I last year I did um, the 50 states um, highest mountain ward record attempt with the team. But the point was like we went to all 50 states and like I could find the beauty in every single state. And it's like even... Illinois or something like the people living in Illinois probably think it's the worst state ever and oh it's not beautiful I want to go move to the mountains or I want to move to east coast or Florida or whatever and it's like I feel like everybody can find beauty in where they are not just where they want to go um, and that was my biggest lesson from wanting to do the Florida trail very much some big ones to, to and some hard ones to get to in that challenge the 50 the 50 oh. high points it was it was wired like i i joined the team last minute so the team i was um, filming and everything it was um five kidney donors that were doing this to prove that like just because you donate a kidney doesn't mean you're disabled and they could still accomplish great things so they went after the overall ward record for the fastest to the overall guinness world record i should say of the 50 state summits and um which was 43 days and i joined last minute like a month before my friend was a team captain and he's like, Hunter, Hey, are you free for a few months to come out and film this thing and like make a documentary about it? And I was like, um, yeah, what is this? And, um, I had zero mountaineering experience at all. And it was like, all right, the first mountain we're doing is Denali. It's like, okay, um, sweet. Okay. But he believed in me because he's adventure racer and I've raced with him for years that like he knew I had the mental grit and the, the physical ability to just keep learning and not quit. And it was like, he didn't care that I didn't have any mountaineering experience. And he's like, I believe in you. I believe in Hunter. And he, he pitched me to the team and they all like, okay, if you believe him. And it was great. So I joined them and we did all 50 States and I filmed it all and we survived. And I, I wasn't a liability luckily. Um, and holy cow. Yeah, it was crazy. You the whole experience. All. So I, I was filming it all, so I went to all 50 states and climbed the mountains, but I only summited 45 of them because it was like sometimes I would be flying drones. I was like Bora Peak in Idaho. It was like 100, 200 feet from the summit, but I flew a drone and filmed it all instead. So um, only one of the climbers made it and summited all 50 and set the world record. They so were it was like, five hey, Hunter, less. Can you join us? But by the way, you need to get rid of one of your kidneys per, per team <laughs> rules. Um, you're not a kidney donor, are you? No, not okay. yet. Not yet. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that if that was the case. Um, man, I, so that's its own episode. Honestly, frankly, that sounds incredible, especially from the point of view as like someone who's documenting, because that's kind of like adventure racing, a whole different set of challenges in layer of the work that probably doesn't get the attention it deserves. But now you know that kind of like crewing, you know, crewing is tough. So with the Florida Trail, what were some of the things that you thought would be like, things to try or things to do differently that previous attempts or previous uh, record holders wouldn't do. Mm. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. With any adventure, hydration is very important. I, I've been on so many trips where I've been dehydrated or couldn't stay hydrated enough. An element helps anyone 
including especially adventurers, stay hydrated. Without the sugar and other dodgy ingredients found in in popular electrolyte and sports drinks. You don't want to have cramps and headaches and fatigue and brain fog or weakness on trips, whether that's training or out on the adventure itself. And having the ability to have something like Element there is so important. Element is a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix free of all the sugar and artificial coloring. Element was developed by former research biochemist Rob Wolf, two times New York Times bestselling author and one of the Navy SEAL Resiliency Committee members for over a decade. From Olympic athletes to special forces to health experts to business leaders to everyday health, Element is their go-to choice for hydration. Our listeners can receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you go to drinkelement.com slash adventuresports. That's drinklmnt.com slash adventuresports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, give it away to a friend and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. I've been using it on rides and paddles lately and I'm really enjoying it. Element, stay salty. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website, and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business, making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Oh, gosh. That's an interesting thing about these long FKTs is there's only like 10 people in the entire world that have done these super long ones. So it's like there isn't much data or any information about how to pull these things off. So it's like everybody's guessing. So it's like you try to do the math and you try to guess your best guess and it's like you could be so off. Um, and you might, they might not be willing to share. It's not like the uh, AT where so many people have done it. There's guidebooks. This is, yeah. There's still relatively few amount of people that have done the full yeah. Florida Trail. And again, that's that's disappointing part of FKTs and people don't want to share information as much as like me. I'm like, dude, I'm willing to give every information. Like I've set a record and like a month later, I went out to help somebody break my record. And it's like, I went out there and crewed and paced them. And it's like, that's how I look at it is again, like I said, it, it all comes down to like a team sport for me. It's like, I set the record, but I want somebody to come break it tomorrow if, if I can help them. Uh, but there wasn't much help um, or any information really about the floor trail. But I, I went into it kind of just like, hey, if I just show up at the start line 
and just start, I'll be good. So it's like a lot of people stress a lot about the planning and the logistics. Like, oh my gosh, trying to think of 1,100 miles of logistics. Like, that's crazy enough. Like, 100 mile logistics is crazy enough, but 1,100 miles, you're trying to plan out every little detail, it'll just be so overwhelming. You won't even start it. So, my whole goal is just to start. And I know once we get to the first few days, we're going to learn and keep adapting. And by the end, we'll have everything dialed. So, we went into this not fully prepared. My training wasn't perfect. You started at a date you didn't want to, too, right? Yeah. Like that was all thrown around. Yeah, that, that just to get to the start line was hectic enough because we planned on doing it on December 28th. And then um, two weeks before, my main crew person that was going to be there the entire time, he had to pull out because he injured his back. So he's like, Hunter, I can't do it. Sorry. So I'm like, okay, crap. Let me push the date back to a whole month to like end of January to start. And I, I made the decision, made a little post on Instagram. And that same day, the Florida Trail Association announced that they were closing Big Cypress Preserve, basically the start of the Florida Trail on January 14th. So I'm like, crap, now the only option I have is to go back to my original start date. After you had mentally prepared for two weeks later, or no, I'm sorry, a month later, what 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 was the closing? Was it fire? Uh, yes, planned it fire? fire, a fire closure. Yeah, it was. Again, I I made a decision and I waited like three days and I made the post. So I already mentally checked out. I mentally like started training again really hard. Um, try to get a little bit um training in before the start, and then all of a sudden we had a change of plans and I had to start five days from when I found out. So it's like God now five days to order all the food, all the gear and like massage and stretch and try to jam as much possible. in. And this was during Christmas too. Did, did you have someone lined up backup for crew? And that was the thing. I had to make the decision before I even had a crew person. So then it was like, crap, if I want to pull this off this year, the only option is in five days or I push it back until next year because my, my schedule from February and March was completely booked. And then anything past February, you really don't want to be doing the floor chair, but it's too hot. Um, so it's like, I, if I want to pull it off, I have to do it in five days. And luckily my dad stepped up and he was like, Hey, I can move some stuff around and I can come down the whole thing, but you have to start a day earlier. So now we have to start a day earlier and we had to drive down Christmas. So I did Christmas morning with my family and instantly left, drove all the way down to the Everglades and started the next day. And so just to get to the start line was stressful enough. But again, I kept telling myself, it's like, if I just start, everything would be fine. So I would just learn on the go, get in the system. Yes, we're not perfectly dialed. We don't have everything in line. I, I don't even have a second crew person yet, um, but we'll figure it out once we start going. What What's the story behind the ambulance? <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, oh no, he got hurt. And I'm like, oh yeah. wait, no, he's, that's not a real ambulance. That's like a support. That's like a vehicle that almost like a camper van or something. So it, yeah. it confused me when I saw the picture posted. I'm like, oh, shoot, he got, he got injured. <laughs> he got injured <laughs> Which before he did, started. actually. But this was, that's like your, your, your crew vehicles, this ambulance. Yeah. So um, when I graduated high school, the first thing I bought, I was like, I want to go van lifing, um, but I don't have 50K to spend on a Sprinter van. So I just, <laughs> I, it was funny. I was just out on the street and the ambulance pulled up and there was these two guy, um, EMTs off duty. I said, like, hey, this is a weird question. Be, do you mind if I take a peek inside? Because I was like, oh, this could be a cool van conversion. So I took a peek inside. I'm like, man, they have all the cabinets ready. Now you got to take the dead bodies out. But um, I was like, this could be a nice van life thing. So I um, found an ambulance on Craigslist for $6,000. And it had 100,000 miles diesel. And I was like, dude, that's such a killer deer. I went and bought it. Um, and then I basically spent like four grand converting it put it in the bed and the awning and a roof rack and it was like the perfect van life vehicle but more importantly the perfect fkt like support crew like everything's built out like the food there's drawers and it's so easy just to like walk in and have everything i need for an fkt inside you there. got so, that ambulance for that much six thousand dollars i mean it's a it looks like it's in great shape perfect shape it i took it into the um mechanic and no, no issues. Just an oil change for like 30 bucks. And I've had zero issues, knock on wood, for four years now. It's been amazing. What? Very lucky. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I mean, that it's like a very nice looking. It doesn't look like you, because sometimes you see those conversions and it's like, okay, that's clearly a very used 
ambulance or work vehicle that someone converted yours look like you almost custom built it from day one to to be like oh i'm gonna buy an ambulance shell and make it into what i need that's hilarious did you find anything weird in there when you started cleaning it out (laughs) yeah the the ambulance was in tip-top shape no rust or anything um and then basically took i i cleaned out the inside seven times just to be safe (sighs) because it's like there's some bad stuff in here um so yeah, I found some needles and some blood and um, no body parts or anything, luckily. But what I always say, people always freaked out. It's like, man, you sleep in an ambulance? Isn't that really scary? It's like, technically, nobody's ever died in the ambulance because you're not pronounced dead until you get to the hospital. Yeah. So there's no ghost inside, so I'm all good. Dude, needles, blood, bandages. I mean, that's stuff you'd normally find in vehicles in Florida anyway. So, <laughs> yes. you know, no, no, uh, <laughs> that's just a normal day. <laughs> Any van down by the river. That's right. Man, so, all right, so your dad came down, stepped in, but it was a day late. I, I know that uh, my my best friend, Paul, who's done a ton of adventures with me, helped you on day one. Sounds like you took off from him uh, probably a few hours in. But, but tell us a little bit about starting the race, because from my understanding – that's some of the hardest miles in the national scenic trail system in a lot of ways, just, or not very unique challenge. Uh, what, what's down there in big Cypress? What, what is, what are those first 30, 40 miles like? So again, preparing for this thing, I I went into the approach of like, all I have to do is start this thing. I don't want to stress out about the planning, the logistics. And I didn't do much research about the trail. I knew sections, but trying to research 1100 miles and know every single section is is too overwhelming so i did some research and everybody talks about the big cypress stretch it's a 31 mile gap to start the florida trail and people just hype hype it up so much about this is so tough it's um, swamp for most of it knee high water waist high in some sections just so dangerous uh be prepared and i went to it's like i want to respect the section but at the same time i know how people overhype certain things so I was like, ah, oh, it's probably not as bad as people are saying it is. Um, I soon found out it was just as bad, if not worse, than people said. And it's, in my opinion, the toughest section of trail in the entire country. What, what's, what's like the difficulty? Like, what is it? Just kind of getting through yeah. the water, like just that resistance, or is it other things too? So what I soon found out was um, I, I did the Florida Trail on the worst year possible. This year has been the flood, most flooding and the wettest year ever. And I didn't know that going into it. And the only, the best time to hike the Florida Trail is January, February, around like that time. So I was choosing the prime time, but I wasn't choosing the right year. It was the most flooded year ever. Everything was so flooded. Um, didn't really know that going into it. Uh, but Big Cypress is notorious for just basically, it's, it's a 31 mile gap with no resupply. There's no roads in between, nothing. So you have to prepare for a 31 mile gap, which is fine, but it's big for most people. Um, but what makes it really tough is one mile into the trail, you're in waste, you're in knee high water, basically for the entire thing. You can like paddle that whole thing. Oh, you could, you could bring a pack raft and just paddle through the whole thing. Um, but there's sections of dry gaps where like maybe a quarter mile, maybe a half mile, but then there's like gaps that are like five miles. You don't even touch a single dry patch of land. And it got really tough with like Paul, um, Paul, and I had totally different gear setups. I went into it with like prayer running shoes with gaiters and long pants and a full backpack. Paul, my, your good friend, and that actually just so lucky that he came out like preparing for this thing. I was like, oh, no big deal. It's a 31 mile gap. Um, but my family was kind of freaking out. They're like, oh my God, Hunter, you're going through Everglades by yourself with Alex. So I just made a post. It's like, hey, did anybody want to come out, pace me? And Paul, I never knew Paul and he just, randomly saw the post and said, yeah, I want to do it. And it's like, man, you're brave. Um, much respect for you even wanting to come out for this thing. But we started and we had totally different setups, but yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul approached it like a dang animal. He, he like nothing. He, he never brings anything. And he was probably, he was wearing his, uh, b- uh, bedrock sandals. I guarantee it. Yep. Yeah. He was wearing his sandals and all. I'm like, this guy's badass. All right. <laughs> Fine, I don't have to worry about him. And we started going and, I thought my setup was good. I was like, okay, gators and no debris gets in there, no mud or anything. Um, and nothing worked. No, no shoe setup, no gear setup is good for that section. It was just nonstop. I had to stop and just dump out my shoes from mud every like two to three miles. It was just crazy. That's, that's interesting because, um, funny enough, 
two days later, I was like, I, Paul was supposed to go with me on this paddleboard trip across Lake Okeechobee. No yes. one has ever done it. And I was like, oh, perfect. You'll be down there for that. And then you can just join us. But your run with him wiped him out so much that he's like, he bailed. He's like, I can't do the Okeechobee two days later. That's just too much for me. I was like, all right, no worries. But I was very jealous of him being able to see that portion of, of the Florida Trail. It, it sounded so, so, so unique of a, of, of a setting. It was amazing. I, I totally recommend everybody go through hike that section. It's so much fun. Like, it's just such, like you said, such a unique section of trail. Like, you won't find that anywhere in the country. Just a nonstop 31-mile swamp that like just uh, so slow moving you have the section so paul paul and i were together for about 20 miles and then we realized this section was taking a lot longer than we thought and the sun was going down in a few hours and i did the math i was like we're gonna be out in the dark and i was like paul do you have a headlamp and paul's like no i I didn't bring a headlamp we didn't i didn't i didn't think we're gonna be out this long so i'm like crap okay um you're moving a little slower than me and he's like, Hunter, you just leave me. You just go. I'm, I'll find my way out. No big deal. I'm like, no, I'm not going to leave you without a headlamp or anything. So I gave him my headlamp and I just took off and tried to go as fast as I can. And the sun went down on us. So I'm, I'm navigating through the swamp with my phone and you could barely see anything. And it's already hard enough to navigate because the blazes aren't really blazed. But um, luckily I made it out. And then Paul caught up after like an hour or so and yeah. made it out of the swamp. But he was a while was behind you. Crazy. He, he crazy. said that you were, he's like, man, this guy is he is a strong runner. He's in great shape. And he, he was very impressed and also very like, he's going to get this. This is really impressive. And, um, yeah, that was cool here. And I'm like, all right, sweet. And then uh, the next day, my buddy Jared joined you shout out to Jared Howell and, and Clewiston. And what's funny is I was held, Jared was going to meet me at the finish line of my adventure, which was only a day, but, uh, it was like, no one had done this before. And so, it was so funny, like how many people we kept crossing paths with. And, and Jared wow. was like, it was awesome. He goes, I was only going to join for like nine miles around Lake Okeechobee. And he goes, then I go for like 20. And he goes, it was so cool. You you had him geeking out about adventure racing. Aww. He's like, I want to do this. Like, I, I just like a whole new world to him because he's more like triathlon and just, uh, he just really has gotten into that. So anyway, even early on, I was seeing the influence in it, 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 that it was having on people, which is so cool. Um, and even early on, you set yourself at a really good pace to to break the record. Um, tell us about like some of the big setbacks, because I know within like the first <laughs> week, you had an injury, didn't you? Like your Achilles. Yeah, just to touch on the part about which said Jer and all these people coming out and being so enthusiastic about it. Like, like it was so cool to see the impact we were having. And that's why like, I was so happy that we made this a supported effort and I had GPS tracking and I, I publicly invited everybody to come out and run with me because like, it wasn't about me. It was like people coming out and saying, Hey, I want to run one, uh, like five miles with you. And all of a sudden they end up running 40 miles with me and like breaking their personal best. It was like the biggest highlight of the entire trip. So I was very grateful for all the people to come out and the impact we were able to have um and he but, yeah, said but, when you were paddling or, or going uh one of your teachers just showed up randomly is that yeah. right two of my high school teachers <laughs> somehow have been following me since high school they came out and like ran and like biked with me for multiple miles it was like such a cool thing that like that so man random. even that's why again i wanted to do this in florida yes yeah. there's other long distance trails like the ice age trail and other things i wanted to do but i was like i want to come back to florida because this is the state I grew up in and the people I know and to get everybody to come out was so cool. But um, yeah, we had a lot of setbacks, um, it, which is to be expected for a long run like this. But basically the first, like first day went shorter mileage because of the swamp. But then the second day I threw down 68 miles, which is like a long distance for these FKTs. Um, not many people do 50 55 and up miles um, but for 68 miles and the next day we did 60 miles um, we were throwing down some big miles and my body just snapped basically at mile 300 everything was hitting me um, the mental fatigue of just nonstop day after day of doing the same thing was just a lot and then my body was breaking down my Achilles felt like it was torn there was this huge bump that formed on my Achilles that like that's not a good thing when you have this big bump forming and you barely can flex your foot. And it's tricky with these things is 
everybody says listen to your body but when you're doing these really long efforts it's it's hard you can't always listen to your body because like 99% of the time it's not real pain it's just your body wanting you to protect yourself and yes that's the best thing about our bodies is you stub your toe and it tells you you're hurt so you stop stubbing your toe but when you're in a long run like this you're going to be experiencing so much pain every single step was excruciating for me but i don't need to stop i because it's not a permanent damage um but as soon as i felt that bump in my achilles it kind of got in my head of like oh my god i could have torn my achilles this is so much pain uh, i don't know if i could keep doing this so basically at mile 320 i just had this mental like we just need to quit the day i never felt like quitting the entire run but i just wanted to quit the day so we did 45 miles and i was like let's just go to a hotel let me take a long shower. Let me just sleep as long as I possibly can and wake up and we'll just get on the trail whenever. So we basically took 18 hours off from then. It was just like, I, I did this little trick where it was the first time I've ever done this, but I mentally quit, let myself quit for just 10 minutes, basically sat in the shower and I was like, okay, I quit Hunter. How do I feel right now? What's, what's the call home going to feel like? What are, where am I going to tell my mom that, oh, hey, mom, I quit. It, I was just too much pain. My Achilles is messed up. How is that going to feel? How is the social media post going to feel of me going online and be like, hey, guys, it was a good effort, but I got injured. And I went through the whole process of like what it would feel like to quit. And I realized at the end of it, it was like, I, I wouldn't be content with myself. I wouldn't, I would be disappointed that I quit because I knew I still had a lot left in the tank. Even if I didn't have enough left in the tank to go 800 more miles, I knew I had enough in the tank to go one more mile. And then once I got to that mile, I knew I could go another mile. So basically, I let myself quit for 10 minutes. And that whole process, just that 10 minutes, saved the entire project. After I got that 10 minutes snapped out of there, I never once thought about quitting for the next 800 miles. So we basically had this mental reset where um, we quit that day and spent 18 hours resting and then got back on the trail. And then we only ran 35 miles. But then basically my crew was freaking out because my toes were like so infected and they were about double the size. They couldn't really fit in my shoes. Every single step was like jamming my toe in the front of my shoe and it was excruciating. And they were like turning like black and like really bright red. So my crew was like, we need to address this. This is going to get really bad if we just keep running through it. Hunter, we understand you could handle the pain, but this could end this trip if you lose your toe so we ended up stopping at 35 miles that next day and actually going to the emergency room and we spent six hours in the emergency room trying to fix my feet and they were like we've never seen feet this up before <laughs> um what we recommend is you take a month off of your feet and sit in a wheelchair and it's like um that's not an option uh, anything else you recommend is like can't really give you anything um let me try to pop them and they popped a little bit got a little pus out and it's like good luck wow. and basically um the next like five days was so excruciating every single step was just so painful but we took care of the feet we we changed up our um, strategy because we realized then that i was going i was dealing with the most flooded florida trail ever every single section was like knee high water i never went a single day without getting my feet completely drenched where Previous years, people would have a complete dry 500 miles. Um, so I was just getting my feet constantly wet, and that was causing the infection to get worse and everything else. So we basically just slowed it down and stopped every 10 miles and took care of the feet. Basically, it's like, hey, if we take this extra time to take care of our feet, by the end of it, your feet are going to be better, and you'll be able to run faster. So we took care of everything, went a little slower, and it was just crazy. It was like right at like mile 400, my body just snapped out of it. It was like, I still had the toe pain, still had the Achilles pain, but overall fatigue just went away. It was like, you often hear these long distance FKTs and big adventures, like just get through the first week and then your body kind of gets used to it the second week and the third week and the fourth week. And um, I truly felt that it was like right at mile 400. I, I guess that was like day eight. My body just snapped out of it and it was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're not going to complain anymore. We're just on board. And not saying I didn't have pain for the last 700 miles, but it was like, I just got used to it. Mentally, I wasn't fighting myself. It was just day after day. Just, I know what I can do. I know just wake up, put on my shoes, take those first 10 steps. And those 10 steps turn into 55 miles for the day. And I go to sleep and do the same thing every single day. So 
it was um, lows of lows at mile 300 ish to highs of highs at mile 400 when I realized we can just keep going. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. Let's talk a little bit about productivity. It seems like everyone is trying to do more, be more efficient. And and I'm learning this. If I'm efficient, I can do all the things I want to do and not basically leave things undone at the end of the workday or the end of the work week, which definitely affects when I go out on an adventure and I know I didn't get something done. That's why I've been a big fan of Magic Mind. It's a little shot of all kinds of really good ingredients like matcha and ashwagandha and tons more that help you basically focus and be more productive throughout the day. And it's also helped me cut down on the amount of coffee I drink. I drink way too much coffee and Magic Mind is helping. So if you're looking for a way to get more good quality ingredients and a little less caffeine put into your diet and into your body, go to the website and you can get 56% off right now for the next three days. And after that, you'll be able to get 20% off by going to Magic mind.com slash adventure sports and use the code adventure sports 20 for 20% off you can get 20% off a one-time purchase and subscriptions by going to magicmind.com slash adventure sports with the code adventure sports 20 today's episode is sponsored by nerd wallet smart money podcast NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year, balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know, I I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is, don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they're innovative on comfort, style, and service. They have Western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. You know what? I, I have known about the Florida Trail. You see it. It's growing in popularity. Only 400 people have ever done it, like roughly in full. And I think you're 407. First person in 2024 to do it. What I think is interesting is when I lo- started looking at the mileage, I'm like, you know, we, we, we think of like Gainesville as very North Florida. And at that point, you're not even halfway through the trail. You're just like right at halfway. And I'm yeah. like, holy cow, so much of this is in the panhandle. It was yeah. amazing to watch you cover the length of the state so quickly. And what I loved about the way you're doing this with the planning is especially when you're planning an adventure, you can think ahead to certain problems or certain sections that give you a lot of anxiety. Sometimes on the bike, when I bike packed, it was like going through a big city. Like oh, I got to get through St. Louis or Seattle or whatever it is. And you're stressing for like the week before and then two days before and then the day of, and then all of a sudden, like without even realizing it, that part's behind you. And you're like, why yeah. did I even stress about that that much? Like it, it's literally like it never has to be a problem again. Yet it was like, on the forefront of my mind for, mm-hmm. for a week. 
And so I, I think that's a good approach with how you did this was like, you know, that 31 mile section, yes, it might be tough and I could stress out and plan to no end about how to deal with it, but it's only going to, it's going to be completely irrelevant after day one. So, you know, yeah. what's the point? And I, I just made a video that I'll probably post today or tomorrow, but it was basically what you just said. It was like, one of my biggest lessons from this thing was breaking down these big efforts into little chunks. And even if it's not like a huge 1100 mile run, if you're going out for a marathon, don't think about the total distance. If I, if I thought about 1100 miles, that would freak you out. Like even now, like me being removed from it two weeks ago. And it's like, man, I ran 1100 miles. That just sounds insane. But I never thought about 1100 miles when I was out there. I only thought about the section I was on. If I felt really good, I thought about basically my biggest horizon was that 55 miles I was going to knock out that day. But when I felt really bad, I focused on the next 10 mile gap. And I felt even worse. I focused on one mile. And then if I was absolutely destroyed, like I said, like in that hotel, like Achilles hurting, throwing up, mentally destroyed, I didn't even think about one mile. I just thought about, can I take another 10 steps? And yes, I could always take another 10 steps. So it's like, I never, never once thought about 1100 miles. I never, if basically this 1100 mile run felt short to me because I was always just focusing on 50 miles, 10 miles, one mile or 10 steps. Um, so I think that's a big lesson I learned from these big efforts or anything. It's just, if you're feeling bad, don't think about, oh man, I still have 800 miles left. I never thought about that. It was like, no, I just have to do 10 more steps and one more mile. Part of the reason you did this is to explore and understand this place you spent, you know, 18 years of your life. What were some of the things that you saw that you just did not expect? My, my craziest wildlife encounter was actually um, on day two, running around Lake Okeechobee. It was a <laughs> panther. A panther jumped down in front of me and like ran and jumped over the canal and ran to the bushes. I was like, what the heck? Like, there's only like a hundred panthers in the entire state. And I saw one on day two. I did not know you saw a panther. Yeah. No kidding. That's a right after Jarrett left too. What? Like, Jarrett stopped pacing me. And then it was like, all of a sudden I saw a pacer one mile after he left a uh, panther. No, no kidding. I did Crazy. not know that dude. That is, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's like around 200 estimated in the wild. And a lot of the reason parts of Florida are being protected for conservation is to increase the habitat of the panther. That is an unbelievable encounter. Like that's a yeah. rare experience. So I was actually, I was so hyped up. It was like day two, I saw a panther. I'm going to see so much wildlife this entire trail. The entire 1100 miles, I saw two alligators and two snakes. That's it. It was like, I saw some raccoons and some armadillos and some pigs, but I was more blown away by, again, that diversity of Florida. Like, Growing up in Florida, I thought I saw the entire state. I've raced across from the West Coast to the East Coast 10 times, and I felt like I knew the state pretty well. But, gosh, there's just so much diversity. you got the swamps down the Everglades, and then you got, like, the hills of Ocala. And then, again, like you said, it was like I didn't do too much research about the trail in itself, so I didn't even know where the halfway point was. And halfway, I lived up in Jacksonville my whole life, and I always felt like, oh, my God, I'm so far up here. I'm in the Northeast. Um, and that wasn't even halfway. I had to get all the way basically to Gainesville before I got halfway. And then just the diversity, even on the panhandle, it feels like an entire different state than it does down the Everglades. And then Ocala, it was really cool that diversity you can get in one state. And I guess that's what you get when you run 1100 miles, <laughs> the entire thing. And So when did it become clear to you that, okay, I've got a really good chance at this? Were you, did you always kind of know when, once you kind of got a good pace or was it you know, just kind of not trying to get ahead of yourself. When did you kind of let yourself believe that you had this in the bag? Gosh, it's like, again, it goes back to, I never really thought about the endpoint. I never thought about the whole 1100 miles. I just focused on the section I was on or the day I was on, but it was like in that hotel room when I was completely destroyed and I wanted to quit mile 300. And I knew I had in the bag as soon as I got up that morning and I stepped foot on the trail again, and I just took 10 steps. I was like, okay, I know there's no option. I'm not going to quit now. I just went through the whole mental process of me quitting. I took this long break. Um, I know if I get back on the trail this morning and just get going, I'm never going to get off this trail again. So it was like from mile 300, I was like, I'm going to finish this trail. If I get the record, great. If I don't, 
it doesn't matter. I'm going to finish this trail. And it was basically at mile 400. So it was still like a hundred miles of pain and suffering, but mm-hmm. mentally I was good. I was like, I'm not going to quit. This hurts, but I'm fine. Then mile 400, it was like, my body just snapped. And I was like, I'm right back into it. I feel great. I could keep going. And I, I, ra- I rode that higher basically the whole time. I never felt like I wanted to quit. I, I knew I had it, but I didn't know I had it time-wise. I didn't know about the record. I knew I had it in me to finish this whole trail. And it, it was so much flooding and so much like uncertainty about the trail that I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know there was like a whole section where it was 18 feet deep of swimming and like just swimming sections where like it's normally completely dry. So that it's like that whole aspect of like, I knew my body had it in me and mentally I was great, but then I have a trail that's completely different from any other year. So how do I compare me going through this section fast and trying to set FKT if I can't even move because it's swimming. So there was a lot of uncertainty about the trail and stuff, but me and my body, there was never uncertainty about me finishing it. You know, Florida is known for being pretty wild, pretty crazy. You know, there's a lot of stuff out in those woods that, that isn't natural. Did did you come across any Florida man scenarios or anything oh that was like, whoa, this car's on fire in the woods? I don't know anything. Cause a lot of the Florida trail isn't out in the woods. You're crossing I four on a bridge. Like there's all kinds of things that you interact with, with, uh, you know, parts of society. No, I was, um, honestly really disappointed because <laughs> I didn't have any Florida man encounters. So I spent a lot of time trying to think of some crazy story I could come up with of seeing a Florida man, but nothing. No, it was like, I think it was the complete opposite. Like, again, people overhype certain things like Florida man, that's so dangerous. There's meth labs everywhere, which previous races, I've come across meth labs in the woods in Florida and gotten shot at and stuff. But this run, almost no bad encounters. It was like the whole thing, just all great people. Um, Yeah, all positive. So it, it, it was Florida a little man. more like I'm the Florida man. Yeah, maybe I got crazy enough that I became and scared everybody else away. That's awesome. So who was the person or who was somebody that showed up? I mean, we already talked about your high school teachers showing up. That's so random and so cool. Shows shows the impact. And, uh, you know, that, all that, but that was early on. You still had like, you know, weeks left of this, this experience, a few weeks left. Who was someone else that showed up that maybe was unexpected or someone that really got you back on your feet, so to speak? Oh man. That next level. Yeah. So I'll just touch on Gloria, which was actually on day four. So it was like basically the start of my downfall because I did, 68 mile a day, 60 mile a day, 55 mile a day. And then she came out and it was like, I wasn't feeling good that fourth day. And she came out and she just messaged me, never met her before. She just saw me post on social media or something. And she's like, oh, I want to come out and come pace and run with you. I, you're coming right through my home stretch. I've um, explored these trails all the time. And she's like, I'll come out for 10 miles. And I'm like, oh, great. She comes join me. And then like, we just hit it off. We just talked the whole time. And she shared her story and then she was like how much longer are you going to go here i'm like yeah, i have like 40 miles for the day or so and she was like oh i'll go the next section with you so she did five miles with me and then we got to that section she's like i feel great i'll go another five miles and it just kept going and we got to basically 30 miles and she's never run over 32 miles in her life and she she's tried multiple times to do like a 50 miler and a 40 miler and she's dropped out of those races so she was like in her head she believed that she could only run 32 miles. So I was like, You're, we're already at 30 miles. We're going to get you to 40. Like, I was so hyped up. I was feeling like crap. And like, it was my worst day on the trail so far. But I was so motivated to push her and to help her accomplish her goal. That, that kept me going through the day. And um, I luckily convinced her to go another 10 miles of me. And she got 42 miles in for that day. And she was so hyped. And she like, she said it was the best day of her life because it like broke so many mental barriers for her that again, she, she went years, like five years thinking she could only run 32 miles. And now she came out here on a, on a whim with no training and did 42 miles with me. And it was like, Oh my God. Now she's like, Oh my God, I'm signing up for a hundred miler next week. (laughs) And it's like, that was such a great motivation for me. It was like, this is why I do this type of stuff. It's never about me. And Hey guys, look how amazing I am. It's like, no, look how amazing we are. Like, Humans can do this. If I can run 1,100 miles, you can go run whatever you think is your toughest thing ever. So that was like, it really realigned why I was out there and gave me that mission to keep going and keep pushing myself that 
I was inspiring people out there and it was really great. So, and then I went to that downfall of like, everything was falling apart. My Achilles was hurt, but mm. thinking of Gloria and the th- people I was impacting got me out of that low moment to keep going. And it was incredible how much support I got out there. I, I felt like I had the most supported FKT of all time. Like hundreds of people came out to support me and pace with me and cheer me on and bring food. It was so overwhelming that like, so grateful that I was so loved by it, everybody and it helped me keep going. So. Wow. Humbling. I'm sure to have that kind of effect on people like the best day ever. That's, that's insane. Like that's amazing. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that about the effect you have on somebody? That's awesome. So take us through uh, what it's been like afterwards. Cause it's something that we talk about a lot on this show is like after a big challenge finishing, there's definitely a void, you know, you can ride the high of press and the attention it gets, but it can definitely be like a, a pretty significant low afterwards. How, how are you feeling at this point of uh, the post adventure? Yeah. So a touch on finishing it, um, coming in 1100 oh, miles. Yeah, we kind of skipped. Over that part no, no, you're good. No, no, this is tying into the, after the words, but when I finish this thing, again, every common knowledge and people say like you, I should be destroyed after running 1100 miles. Like, my body should be broken down. I should be like crippled crawling across the finish line. But I ran those last few miles, like the whole last hundred miles faster than my, basically my fastest hundred miler ever. Like I ran the last hundred so well and my body felt so strong. I came across the finish line knowing deep down inside, if I had to turn around and run all the way back down to the Everglades, I could. Like my body could handle that. Mentally, I was, again, I had that end goal of 1100 miles. So mentally I was ready to be done, but I knew physically if I just had a mental switch and was like, okay, I got to run all the way back, I could. And that was like, I never would have thought that. So then basically the last um, two weeks out basically now, and my body has felt great. Like I don't have soreness. I don't have any injuries, even though my Achilles was like basically torn at mile 300. Like it, it repaired itself as I kept going and kept moving. My body got stronger and stronger throughout this process. So I truly believe me finishing, I'm a stronger person now than I was when I started this trail completely fresh, which is pretty wired to me. So basically the past two weeks, I've taken it easy. I haven't ran too much. I've gone on a few jogs, but I know deep down inside my, my body's really tight and sore. So I've been doing a lot of stretching and foam rolling, but no injuries, nothing mentally. I feel great. I feel positive. I don't have the mental fog. I had mental fog for about three or four days where I slept for like 18 hours a day. But overall, I don't have the emptiness um, because I looked at this post run differently from all my other adventures where like I would finish a race and instantly be thinking about the next one. Like I would spend a day maybe reflecting on it and just chilling out, but I would be instantly, oh, hey, what's the next race? What's the next adventure? What can we use this training to go do? But basically I was like, I'm going to take as long as I need after this, just to reflect, not think about the next adventure, just write down and try to talk about as much as I can from these, because at the end of the day, like I don't do this for the name on a website or an FKT or anything. It's, I do these long adventures. Basically I call it my research lab because I go do these tough things to push myself to see what I'm capable of, but to learn about how to become a better athlete, but more importantly, become a better person through these things. So like I learned so much, like a lifetime of lessons in this 1100 miles. So it's like, I would feel empty inside if I just moved on to the next thing. Like if I just instantly planned the next race, even though my body feels great and I go jump straight into it, I would feel empty and disappointed in myself. So I'm going to spend as much time as I need reflecting on this whole experience, learning as much as I can. And then more importantly, try to pass on these lessons to anybody who wants to listen. Um, so that's how I, I don't feel empty. I feel super fulfilled after this run. So, and, uh, you got the FKT, how, how, by how much did you get it? Um, by 19 hours. All right. Almost a full day. I I always, adventurers are always asked what next. I don't want to ask you that because I just want you to take time. If you have something great, share it. But what, what would you say is, uh, Maybe some of those lasting lessons, say, say fast forward the, 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 the clock 10 years and you look back on this experience, what do you think something that will be a lesson that's still with you? Like I learned this from that experience. Gosh, again, there's so many lessons to be learned from these really long, tough things where like, I felt like if I ran a fast marathon, you don't have that time to think. 
but 1100 miles most of it i was alone out on the trail it gives you so much time to reflect and think about everything so i learned so many lessons but it's funny it's always the same lesson from these adventures and always pushing your limits is you're capable of a lot more than you ever think like if you told me three years ago when i started ultra running that one day i would be running 1100 miles i would not believe you one bit because i ran a hundred miler my first hundred miler like three or four years ago. And I was completely destroyed. It was the hardest thing. Like my legs were hurting so bad. I was like, I can't take another step. And if you told that person, Hunter, you're going to be running 11 of these back to back to back to back. No, impossible. So again, it's funny. It's always the same lesson. You always have to teach yourself is you're capable of a lot more. So it's like running 1100 miles. Now it's like, man, I know <laughs> it might sound crazy, but I know I could run 16,000 miles around the entire globe if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And like, it's that belief of just believing in yourself. Again, going back to Gloria coming out and running 40 miles with me, she told herself she could only run 30 miles for years. She didn't think it was possible to go further. And me just helping her just push past a little bit and go to 40 miles, basically open this whole horizon for her. It's like, man, I can go run 100 miles now. Like she truly believes she can go run 100 miles, which is like so cool that I think everybody needs to look at that as everybody tells themselves and you hear online of, you're capable of a lot more, but you truly are physically, mentally, whatever you want to do in life, you're capable of a lot more. Man, Hunter, that's a great place to, to end it. And I know we're at time. Um, where can, where can folks follow? Where would you like to point folks? Obviously Instagram, but how, how, your races, what, what, what would you like to point folks to? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, that's where I post most of my stuff. I have YouTube channel and stuff, but yeah, Instagram variety of content from recaps and my adventures to, sharing as many lessons as I can from all these things than like me running with ranch and butter and stuff and confu- confusing everybody about my race That's nutrition. Joke, right? Like you, do you really eat I don't, tubs of, uh... of course, of course okay. I eat one stick of butter a mile. Like, are you going to be in character? You're like, no, I definitely eat mayonnaise. I'm like, I can't figure out if this is satire or not, but you don't have to reveal the, the secret. Uh, it's, it's complete satire. <laughs> okay. But the best thing about it is half the audience are in on the joke and if you go through the comments people are like yeah i also run with butter so it's like Dude, any it's new viewer comes in that you're joking because of that it's valid yeah. it's so funny though once you're like okay sure. like, like he's surely he's kidding because i mean there are people that like keto diet i i knew a guy that bike packed and ate a stick of butter and i'm wow. like really like right now you're eating a stick of butter he's like yeah i'm in keto baby and this is what I need. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep eating my Funyuns, you know, but enjoy the butter. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's hilarious. Well, sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining the adventure sports podcast and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's really cool. Really. Thanks a ton. It's a pleasure talking to you, Mason. I I look forward to paddling across Lake Okeechobee with you again. Maybe next year. We'll do it it again. It will be much easier than what you just did. Much easier. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Mason. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.